Monkey to Let Go, the podcast platform of the Phenomenalist, by Leopold Lambert. Today, the right to the city, Zagreb's spatial politics, with Eva Market. Hello everyone, today my guest is uh, Iva Marchetic, who is uh, an architect, uh, an activist and a member of the Right to the City, uh, an, or an organization uh, in Zagreb, uh, from where we are recording this conversation. Uh, hello Iva. Hi. Uh, so today we will speak about um, this aspect of your work, so sort of uh, um, uh, a mix of uh, architecture and architecture history and uh, activism. Uh, and uh, as member of this organization, the right of the city, maybe uh, the first uh, the first uh, reasonable question would be: uh, Can you can you tell us a little bit more about what this organization is about? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, this organization came to be uh, from a network established in the early 2000s, a network of different cultural youth and uh, friends of the earth organizations, which tried to have their own socio-cultural space uh, inside of center of Zagreb. To put it in context, Zagreb was a very industrialized city and it had, once it was de-industrialized and once the, uh, most of the uh, remaining industry uh, left the center of the city, a lot of property was uh, being uh, st stood empty in the center. So these networks that were previously established on some other forms and some other issues, wanted to make uh, a space of their own. Um, when they, uh, they uh, got into one factory and did a lot of work there, uh, festivals and such, and it was a very, um, very interesting place, uh, but they were kicked out. Uh, so then they started to, um, actually through this process, they got familiar with urban plans and urban planning and tried and started to uh, monitor that. So uh, they soon they discovered that the city center <coughs> is changing. And these are the 2000s. This is the uh, time in Croatia, this transition time that still is uh, going on. Um, at that time, a lot of um, investments, uh, especially this big building boom was uh, very uh, alive and the city was supposed to change, and it did change. Uh, in the center of the city, they did these illegal uh, amendments to the urban plan and wanted to make this huge shopping center, center with elite uh, housing inside of the center of the city and take uh, also part of pedestrian street for the infrastructure uh, of this new development. Just to clarify, they did it in the end <laughs> with some changes, but they did. But this produced a lot of um, a lot of resistance. It produced a campaign that lasted from some 2006 uh, till uh, I don't know 2012 or so, and uh, so it's six years of uh, very intense uh, struggle and campaign. Uh, which uh, was formed, uh, the core of this campaign was from, formed from the organizations that I mentioned previously. They called themselves, this network calls, called itself Right to the City Network. 
uh, once the campaign was nearing uh, its end, uh, this um, network uh, became formalized and constituted out of these actors. Uh, so that's how Right to the City uh, came to be in Zagreb. Now it's a formal organization, an NGO, which tries to work um, in a different kind of um, operational mode uh, than, than just uh, uh, other, uh, other NGOs that we partner with. Actually, what we do is mostly um, we partner through uh, our net, we create different kind of campaigns mostly with different actors and we are very mobile team in that sense we don't have many um, very set uh, rules and projects we work uh, we mostly make coalitions coalition partnerships networks platforms uh, which to which we um, give infrastructure and now uh, a very um, very long time knowledge on on uh, campaigning um, <clears throat> topics uh, that mostly concern us are all, are uh, this um, pre- actually fighting against waves of privatizations pri- privatization in uh, Croatia uh, privatization of well, commons which is uh, public infrastructure uh, and uh, urban land uh, and, and also um, urban services such as water and um, waste yeah. and such. We partner um, with different organizations. Currently, we, here we have, um, I'm working here, but also uh, beside me, my, my main partner is a girl who is uh, from an organization for worker ri- workers' rights and democratization. So um, this this co- this uh, connection came to be also through the urban issue, because the factories that were pushed out of the city or that were destroyed through privatization process uh, were mostly um, there are some cases. Well, many of those cases, they were destroyed because the land in the city became more valuable than the production inside of it. That is due also to different kind of changes in the laws and changes in the city managing idea, which is very familiar with um, um, almost all of the European cities, as well as American ones. Uh, so uh, we partnered around the issue of this one factory that was supposed to be, um, that was privatized and was destroyed, and its position was in the center of the city, it was a textile factory, so that was, there was no need to push it out of the city, and uh, so mm, people from this worker organization who came from the student movement, which was very strong in 2009, um, they partnered with Right to the City uh, to point out that the urban issue is also an issue of workers in the city and the changes in social um, social picture and uh, of, our, of our city. Uh, so later on, uh, we formed a bigger kind of connection and so on, and we work together with them and our other partners uh, with uh, some trade unions also um, in different campaigns. So m- most successful one that we did was uh, last year we uh, well, basically uh, pushed um, 
I can't say stopped because that wouldn't be fair, but we pushed for the uh, stopping of privatization of Croatian highway infrastructure. That is some 1,500 kilometers of infrastructure uh, in Croatia that was supposed to be privatized. Actually, there was supposed to be a concession for 40 years. Together with the unions, we formed a partnership, uh, well, this uh, platform, and uh, with all the unions in Croatia. Okay, so we, uh, what we did, we made a huge network that uh, collected well, by Croatian law. You have to uh, collect 10% of, um, of signatures of every person available for vote, voting. I don't know how it's called in English. Um, in two weeks. Yeah, hmm. <laughs> in, in two weeks. Hmm. So that makes for, at the time, 450,000 uh, signatures in two weeks. So you have to have a huge network, you have to have uh, an incredible organization for that. So what we did, we collected half a million of them. So um, we, that was a huge push uh, towards, um, towards ending that process, which actually ended. Uh, but what we are also doing is continuing our uh, collaboration with the unions and other groups in order to um, to uh, actually try and work on a different kind of ma management of public assets, um, a different kind of approach, more uh, participation or more um, rationality in, in that sense. Um, so that's... Uh, also, we have <laughs> other campaigns. Uh, currently, we are uh, involved in the in um, the welcome initiative, which is um, trying to work both on field with the refugees and uh, also uh, campaigning media and. Um, such concerning this issue, which usually is not um, is not something that uh, can be maybe um, connected with urban issue, which we believe, in, of course, it is. Mm. I mean, many right to the city groups we work with the immigrants, so I guess that's um, that's very uh, brilliant. Yeah, uh, uh, obvious good. obvious yeah, choice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but also what we um, what we do. In the meantime, is to also research on um, housing issues, as well as um, development of the city property, which is still um, there is also there is still um, quite a large number of square meters that are in possession of the city, and also uh, follow uh, how this this is uh, developed. Uh, maybe that could have been my first question to introduce uh, the very notion of the right to the city, but we are currently in uh, the office of uh, this organization and the first book that I see in the, in the bookshelves in front of me is uh, Henri Lefebvre's book, which uh, who uh, I think uh, came out with this concept of the right to the city. Could we maybe uh, introduce the, the concept itself and, and the sort of historical context in which it was uh, 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 defined for maybe the, the few listeners who never really encountered it? Is this right? Yeah, I, uh, I must say, I, I, as of course, I have uh, read it and read uh, Harvey's interpretation of it and such. 
but uh, I must say that I'm not very versed in this academic kind of language. Okay. What, is in, what is interesting, I was not uh, a part of this conversation when the, uh, when the uh, people decided to call this initiative Right to the City, what they, the, the people who uh, decided to call it that did not know, uh, actually, were not familiar with, uh, as they say, with Lefebvre's concept. It's just that it seemed uh, so obvious and so logic to call it mm-hmm. uh, logical to call it like that, um, you know, because uh, we are losing any kind of um, any kind of push and pull uh, in our cities, especially I don't know here also with uh, transition and all of the things that we have to learn and see and fight uh, in this city. So. Um, I don't know. That's that's the best I can do. <laughs> no, that's a, that's 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 me who's uh, who's having a, an academic sim- symptom here and bringing yeah. back uh, academic concept when no, that's maybe o- that's okay. I'm just not uh, I'm just not very sure, uh, sure. comfortable. Uh, uh, but so within the right to the city, there is a, another right that you're you've been uh, working on as well, which is the right to housing itself at a at a another scale of the city itself and um, in particular something you've been describing in a, in a lecture that I was uh, able to listen to uh, was the fact that the right to housing was inscribed in the Croatian constitution um, and you, you were telling me that uh, in other countries as well so what does that if what does that really mean? Does does that mean there is no homeless persons in Croatia? I, mm-hmm. I somehow doubt it, but uh, could you could you maybe tell us uh, what that means and what what is what maybe the the organization uh, struggle in the this right to housing? Okay, so uh, well, uh, first the constitution thing. Many I think many countries in Europe have this in some kind of form in their constitution. What is a problem with that, once you have something in constitution, it does not mean that it can be executed. You have to have laws and you have to have practices that can execute this right. Right in itself, in a word, does not mean uh, much if you don't have this operational system. That is something that um, the Spanish organizations for right to housing have been researching very much and very, and put it, put this uh, research out there and this argument out there, uh, which is very kind of important to know. Um, what the, the situation in Croatia, well, uh, which is very similar to all ex-Yugoslavian countries. Uh, first of all, you asked about homelessness. Uh, we didn't have much of homelessness, which was maybe, I wouldn't pretend to be uh, very informed about that, but uh, what we are seeing now with transition, especially with uh, entering EU, that the society is more and more and rapidly um, uh, transforming and um, along the class lines. And uh, we have these uh, different enclaves in the city, we have uh, expensive housing being built uh, and such, which we did not have before. So what we are seeing now is more and more people in the streets and um, more and more people who are outside of the margins of society, which was not the case um, <clears throat> some 25 years ago when this all started. Uh, I don't know if your listeners know, we had uh, also, we were part of Yugoslavia and the war started in 91, where the whole system changed. 
um, in 91, uh, well, prior to that, also um, probably some of your other interviewees uh, told you that we had a legal change um, in, the, in terms of our ho housing policies, <coughs> which is very um, important to note that we had this uh, balanced, um, balanced um, <coughs> percentage of private ownership and um, something we translate as societal ownership. Societal ownership is not just public housing and it's not um, social housing. It's a housing that was produced um, in the cities from the revenue of the industry mostly and distributed through different kind of forms and different kind of um, in different kind of periods and it was uh, you didn't you could not have ownership of that uh, kind of uh, lodgings you only could have right to housing what was done right to housing was made into an ownership over a house so at 90, from 91 to 95 we had a huge shift of uh, property um, of in tenure actually the, um, so uh, and so now now we have uh, al almost 80 percent of uh, private ownership in the housing um, in the housing sphere and uh, only nine percent of that is mortgage uh, ownership in mortgage and 70 percent is just clear ownership which changed the uh, changed the relation towards housing and changed the relation in urban um, um, in urban field. Um, so um, what we also what also happened in most of ex-Yugoslavian countries is that once we privatized all the housing stock, um, we did not put in laws or. If we did, we did not practice laws on housing, any kind of regulation, and everything was, especially in Croatia, because Croatia had faster liberal turn, um, we, we did not have uh, regulation and um, everything was turned towards the market. And um, especially, so we privatized it in the 90s. At the end of 90s, we also privatized national banks. At that time, uh, then uh, uh, housing loans were introduced and also um, uh, laws that um, provided us, um, how do you call it, um, that provided retribution, uh, <laughs> that provided um, funds uh, for um, housing um, they provided funds for housing that were actually, wait, I have to remember the English word, uh, subsidies. Mm. They provided subsidies that actually go to the um, commercial bank. If you, I don't know if I can explain, I mean, probably there's, that is the case in many countries where you uh, can, when the part of this social policy was that you can apply for a loan and you have, <laughs> some kind of subsidies through uh, state funds. Um, so this move was actually transferring a lot of money into the private banks while still uh, the regulation on, um, on housing loans did not exist. Mm -hmm. So uh, also, just to be a bit technical, we had before the 2000s, we had an interest rate from 10 to 12%. 
after the 2000, it fell from 4 to 8%. So that's a huge shift. And this house, this building boom and everything that happened uh, in most of Europe, um, actually, and this kind of mirage that, we are, uh, that, that the economy was functioning, uh, made for a lot of debt. Mm. Uh, and especially in the generations that did not, um, that did not, um, that were not a part of this um, distribution of uh, societal housing, that is a generation from now from forty-five to to fifty-five or maybe younger, forty to fifty. Um, so and especially and of course. Uh, this younger generation, which is not able to procure its housing other than through loans. Uh, because we also have only 2% of public housing, which is actually housing for just um, some kind of small uh, social groups which are either marginalized or are uh, somehow other deserving of those apartments. We don't have any kind of regulation in the in the market in the renting market uh, the, uh, living in the renting market is very precarious and all the policies that the government uh, has put on from um, the end of 90s to now is pushing for uh, <coughs> pushing for the loans and pushing for the ownership and also culturally in the sense that you have this myth which is present in most of the South European countries is that uh, uh, you are uh, on you, uh, the rent, as much as you pay rent, that much you can pay for the loan, uh, for the uh, yeah, monthly. Mm -hmm. uh, monthly rate of a loan is equal to a monthly rate, monthly rent. So why not have your own ownership and be on your own, be like a full-grown man or a woman. That is uh, a myth that is has its material base in the sense uh, that it is really not easy to live in a rented apartment because you can be kicked out whenever you don't have agreements. Uh, you are there is no also data on this and. Um, so and it was never regulated, regulated because you know this other economy was really booming. Uh, what happened after the crisis? Many of these loan schemes um, and people, people, a lot of people lost their jobs. Uh, also, Croatia is in third on the list in Europe of youth unemployment in European Union. Um, third uh, youth unemployment, or and um, so. It was actually economy suffered, and um, a lot of people defaulted on their loans. So you have evictions, you have defaults, you have people whose expenses for housing are uh, more than their household income and such. So um, in Croatia, there was a group that was formed around this specific um, specific. Um, a loan scheme specific uh, that um, uh, provided loans with uh, loans, uh, low interest uh, to um, the loans in <laughs> with low interest that were very that made possible for many people who were not previously eligible for loans uh, for housing to become eligible for this because uh, because of this policy this was not regulated and such so this group now numbers 
uh, over 60,000 people who are hurt by this, these policies. And uh, with the pressure, years and years of pressure, some there is the uh, current government is changing some kind of um, some some laws that, some laws that would regulate this thing this is too little too late and with no actually with no um, view over how this situation can be resolved with much sustainable as uh, sustainably so I've been going on about this for a long time now, <laughs> so um, why am I talking about this uh, uh, as such? Because I think that uh, when it comes to housing, every country in Europe has its own, um, its own specific issues. But what is also very important, I, I, I think, is that, uh, especially with transition of Eastern, Eastern European and Southern European countries, you have uh, a situation where, where everything now is very similar and everything now is uh, done by the same code. And, you know, in some northern countries, of course, you have more rental um, properties which are public or rent control and such, which is also getting to be a bit um, uh, hard to, to keep. Uh, but here we have none of that. So... Uh, in terms of action, in terms of uh, activism, uh, as I said, you have this group who is all, uh, uh, who is negotiating all the time with the government, and you have some kind of action groups uh, that were stopping evictions, but they um, they have turned into a political party with a kind of this right wing. Well, they say political, but mostly like really this xenophobic uh, kind of attitude. So that is that is just uh, an overview overview of the activism in housing issues. Right to the city has not come into activism on this issue, and because the the field for that is now saturated with um, these different actors, and it's not still possible to get into this topic in that way. We do research, we do, um, also we are part of Right to the Housing Network of Europe, and um, we publish texts on the issues, uh, but still um, we did not get into this, in this activism kind of form. Mm. Well, the, the situation uh, that you've been describing specifically to Croatia seems still uh, relatively similar to what I've been hearing uh, along those, uh, this trip uh, in the four, uh, the four former republics of Yugoslavia that I visited. And uh, someone uh, like our common friend uh, Anna Djokic were, was saying very similar things about the situation in Serbia. Uh, but something, something else that I uh, encountered both in Serbia and in Slovenia, and I, I suspect in Croatia it happened as well, was the um, was the creation of also the creation of very of new space in the city based on the reappropriation of um, of parcels that had been expropriated during the collectivization of mm -hmm. uh, so right after the war. Uh, did, did that happen as well? Because that seems to be creating some. Uh, uh, rather s strange situation, let's say, in uh, in cities like Ljubljana or, or Belgrade? So. 
Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I must say I'm not that familiar about the uh, timeline for Slovenia. I know for Serbia we all had the same laws on properties, so the changes are uh, the same, they just came in different time. Hmm. In Serbia they implemented that only in 2000s, uh, and that is uh, re- this return of, uh, of previously collectivized, uh, we, call it nas- uh, we call it denationalization. Hmm. Well, what happened there is you have you had uh, this, which was legally uh, collective ownership, as I said, like this societal ownership. Say, you first had to nation in the 90s. They had to the new states had to nationalize all that property to pronounce it a state property, in order to denationalize it mm. or to give it to uh, private actors that were there before the war. Uh, this is a very shady process and it's it's actually very horrible and hurtful uh, when you think about it that uh, a lot of that property was actually church property, uh, especially in Croatia, uh, that was, I guess, won from the church uh, in, in the Second World War and for example, most of the, say, church property was made into public uh, public schools or parks or whatever, and now it becomes, you know, uh, church property. I talked li- recently with um, the guy from this uh, agency for privatization that we have, for land privatization that we have, uh, and he said that, uh, you know, the church has so many lawyers uh, and uh, such a strong organization which is pushing for uh, this uh, denationalization of more and more property uh, that they cannot fight them off. Of course, they can fight them off with laws, but uh, I don't know if this inter- is interesting for you, but Croatia signed something we call the Vatican Agreement in the <laughs> beginning of the 90s. I, Vatican was the first country to mm. um, recognize Croatia. Oh. So, so when Tasman was prime minister? Uh, or after yeah. yeah, no, yeah. Okay. So what they, what they did also, they signed, signed these agreements. Um, I guess that was the uh, condition of the church to give back all the property. Um, so yes, a lot of changes uh, in urban property happened through that and uh, also, a lot of, I mean, some uh, number of apartments where people were living also were um, were given back. Uh, but there was um, apartments and this, say, right to housing in, I think, all of Yugoslavian countries was something you cannot really touch that easily, yeah. in the sense that people really felt that it was theirs. So. We didn't have the situation where it was done so... I, I know that in Poland, for example, it was very harshly done and people were pushed out somewhere and, and so on. But here um, it was a question of, you know, also constituting these new nations or whatever, uh, that you needed to give some concessions and also you, ha- you need to change this um, mindset and give pronounce uh, housing or your house or your apartment as your uh, personal capital with which you are entering this new phase of capitalism that we uh, Mm. came to. I'm not actually inventing that this is something that was written in the law 
on privatizing housing. So that was the idea. You get your personal capital, but you could, it could not have been taken away um, uh, as such. So when this denationalization came about, apartments that um, needed to be, through this law, given back to the previous owners, whoever they were, um, that was done, in, uh, it's not a huge number of apartments, but that was done um, in a way that people can, um, that had, that have won this right to housing in that, in those apartments, have the right to stay in those apartments until they die. Mm. So nobody could come and just take it away. Of course, there was a lot of irregularities with that, but, you know, that's another story. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe as a last question, uh, one, um, one other aspect of your activism uh, involves, uh, involves uh, some work with the anti-fascist movement. And I was wondering if uh, it also had a strong spatial uh, component in, in this struggle. Uh, and uh, maybe even more uh, architect architectural. I'm, I'm very curious about that. Well, um, everything that I try to do, I try to do out of, well, um, the knowledge I have been given. <laughs> um, and as an architect. As mean, an architect, yeah. yeah. I, I believe that, um, that, you know, architecture, as any other knowledges, should be uh, kind of uh, present in the, um, and distributed in a social sphere or cities, which is not the case because uh, it became, architecture especially became something as of a tool for um, executing uh, the wishes of the rich or whatever. Um, but um, spatial, uh, I mean, uh, anti, uh, as you mentioned, anti-fascist, I mean, Anti-fascists uh, is a group also, part of the groups I'm part of, uh, that is, um, well, uh, with which we have, I have worked with, but also, as I explained, the thing that we try to do here on activist scene is try to connect different groups and different issues over something that we can work together. So when you say a spatial issue, yes, of course, we have a space in the center of the city which has been given to us by the um, old anti-fascist fighters in, from the Second World War. They have a space in, in the center of the city, so they gave us a space, but we, I mean, that space now becomes something that is used by different initiatives and that is um, actually something which we can um, uh, call some kind of social space where, for example, now uh, this initiative for refugees is collecting, um, collecting all the uh, needs, uh, shoes and uh, whatever the refugees need. We have a storage, actually, in, in, um, in this anti-fascist um, uh, building. That's just an example of how it works and how it uh, kind of all is connected. What we also did is uh, anti-fascists organize um, a yearly solidarity march. So we tried to put the topic of the march inside of uh, the topics that are currently happening, but inside of the topics that this network of uh, organizations in Zagreb has some knowledge about and some connections. So a couple of years ago, we did a solidarity march with uh, working people of, um, of the Eastern Zagreb, which was very industrialized. So what I did uh, as part of it, and together with my friends, we did we mapped the 
uh, ex-industry of, of uh, Zagreb, and we showed how many um, how many uh, working spaces were lost inside of the center of the city. Which you know, for us, it, it was just you know show just uh, something that showed the logic behind what we were doing. But we realized later on that uh, nothing like that was done uh, before in Zagreb. That, that that is the only data that was put in this urban kind of contest, context in the sense of showing where the deindustrialization happened and how many jobs were lost in different parts of the city. So that many journalists used it and put it in different ways and through time used it to, um, to show this, uh, this inside of Zagreb. So, um, well, in, in terms of, of being an architect and <laughs> doing activist work, well, sometimes I also get uh, a bit confused, but I think I'm, I'm just uh, uh, trying to, to point out that uh, um, in history of architecture also, and in history in changes of changes in architecture, social changes in architecture, such as uh, so many times pronounced Red Vienna, uh, organization or, and resistance produced different kind of logic to architecture. Knowing this, knowing the, for example, for example, well, researching what is happening with the city is something that is not being done by architectural schools. It's something that is n nobody wants to touch. That uh, nobody wants to be, um, you know, um, against the system uh, which is, say, providing them. I don't know, resources or money and such, like in, in architecture schools. So they mainly deal with, you know, coloring between the lines. So, literally. <laughs> and many of the students of architecture are produced into this kind of, um, are, are put into this situation where they um, have to become either worker bees in a big um, in, in an office, or dream of uh, becoming this superstar, which is which is the, the case in in most of architecture schools and architecture community right now. Uh, and I, f I found that very uh, very disturbing. I, I was working in an office uh, for years, and uh, and uh, I had to. I remember I had to do uh, work on two um, collective housing buildings. One was for the rich people, literally, and one was for the poor people. So the standard was different. The way that it was designed was different. The way uh, that, that it was thought of is different. And nobody put that in context. Nobody was putting that in context, uh, especially before the crisis. So I think that the work of architecture, architects can also be benefited from knowing what the... Um, what are the, these connections between development of our cities, the conditions that we live in, and the way that we produce and design architecture. I think that can also uh, be learned in activism and also can be learned how you push for political change, how you push for resistance that can change uh, urban environment. Uh, and I think that should be a very architectural question. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm pretty sure that many of our listeners will... Uh be convinced of that as well and if they were not now they are <laughs> so thank you very much Eva for uh, taking a, a bit of time this afternoon to talk with me uh, in the last days of uh, of this series in uh, in the western balkans thank you thank you